0: Thank you know? Hey, remember in like fourth grade when you got assigned your first book report on somebody?
1: Yeah, mine was on Chicago Bears quarterback, Jim McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> I only read like the first chapter because it had a story about like he he broke his ass or something and then I didn't read the rest.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Didn't he play with the refrigerator? Wasn't there a player named the refrigerator? They refrigerator
1: play. Perry. Yeah. I wouldn't know. I didn't finish the book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, for me, I got assigned President Zachary Taylor, who was voted one of the most forgettable U.S. presidents in history. It turns out he died one year into office, which means that the Pop Trash podcast has actually lasted longer than his administration.
1: Well, kudos to us. Do we get a presidential medal for that?
0: (laughs) No, we don't. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But speaking of biographies, TV history is ballooning with made-for-television movies that fit under the category of biopics. There are US presidents, legendary actresses, famous musicians,
1: Olympic athletes, even Miss. Americas, or is it Miss Americans?
0: <laughs> you know, did you know that Kit from Knight Rider actually had a biography? No. Oh, well, I guess that's actually more of an autobiography. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we better start this episode soon, or I'm going to have Kit drive me the hell out of here. Highway <laughs> to the danger zone.
0: <laughs> oh, well, if you haven't figured it out by now, today's episode is all about biography TV movies. Ready to open up those pop culture history books? Let's begin.
1: Welcome to this episode of the Pop Trash Podcast. I'm Eric Griggs, And I'm Mike Jones. Each episode, we take a pop topic
0: and trash talk it, but with love, of course. Ooh, one might say a hunk a hunk of burn in love, of course. <laughs> of just course. A little foreshadowing of what we might talk about today. <laughs> hmm, I wonder what that could be. Well, we told you at the top we are talking biopic TV movies today, but before we get into any of the three movies, I just wanted to ask you, Eric, what are the qualities a person needs to have in order to get a biopic made of them?
1: Um, they have to be living or, well, <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> they have to be, <laughs> they have to have lived a life. <laughs> oh,
0: <okay. Good> clarification.
1: <laughs> Um, a, a very, well, not even an interesting life as we'll come to see. <laughs> I think they just have to be of interest. How about that?
0: <laughs> of interest. I think that that's fair. I would add that there has to be at least some significant story arc that, gets viewers to pay attention to, you know, their life story, whether it's rise from nowhere to become a star, whether it's massive amounts of struggle to overcome, you know, there has to be a little bit of something in there to make a biopic like worth it.
1: Mm -hmm. They have to be of note in some, some respect
0: of note. Yes. Like front page news story when they pass away note. So we've got three biopic TV movies we're covering today. The first one stars a beloved movie star in one of his first major roles as the king of rock and roll.
1: The second stars a WKRP cast member and the Terminator himself in telling the story of one of Hollywood's most beloved golden age actresses
0: Ooh, oh and the third we're required to talk about because eric only agreed to do this podcast if we bring up charlie's angels or scarecrow and mrs king once an episode (laughs) it's
1: in my contract (laughs) it's in my contract good morning michael
0: (laughs) (laughs) so we've got a charlie's angel doing double duty as the princess of monaco First,
1: I must say that biopic is my number one mispronounced word. I always want to say biopic. And I know a lot of other people do this too. Does that trip you up?
0: No, biopic doesn't usually trip me up.
1: I'm going to say biopic a hundred times.
0: That's right, listeners. Every time he says biopic, we have to put a nickel in the jar. (laughs) It's like the swear (laughs) jar. All right. Well, for our first one, we're heading down to the Heartbreak Hotel, And we're looking at 1979's easily titled Elvis.
1: Oh, what do you know? I know.
0: (laughs) But this movie is actually really somewhat significant because it was one of the early films of superstar Kurt Russell, who plays Elvis. And it was directed by John Carpenter, massively famous film director of, you know, Halloween, they live all these different sort of horror movies or action movies from the late seventies, early eighties. Um, And so teaming them up, this was their first team up, basically, for a TV movie that told the story of the most famous musician in all of 20th century American music, I'd say, just a few years after his death. This aired on February 11th, 1979. For all of the movies we're going to talk about today, we're not going to do plot summaries. It is primarily the lives of these people. But there are some really amazing things that happen in this very long TV movie about Elvis's life. So I guess, Eric, my first question to you is, did you like it? And did you learn anything about Elvis watching this?
1: Well, you're right about it being very long. People <laughs> say he died young, but I was like, when is he going to die? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Funny thing is he doesn't He doesn't die in this. They actually cut it before his death. True.
1: Did I learn anything new? I think most of it because I did not grow up in an Elvis household. Maybe my mom listened to a few Elvis records when she was younger, but um, didn't play them in our house a lot. So I really don't know much about Elvis. So for me, it was kind of fun to learn his life story.
0: So for me, I think what I loved most about this, and you're right, it is extremely long. It's interesting knowing that Carpenter directed this, because I thought both the, the cinematography, the lighting, and just the overall sort of vibe of the film had like sort of elements that reminded me of Halloween. The dusk or the horizon is just sort of like dimly lit enough that you could sort of see it, but it has that spooky feel. I was like, oh, this is a John Carpenter film. It feels like it even.
1: Yeah, it was much more cinematic. I mean, of the movies we've been watching on the podcast, it felt the least like, oh, I'm watching a TV movie, you know? And I I know we've been trying not to use that word disparagingly, but this felt cinematic.
0: The one thing I will say about the plot of this movie is it it's Elvis's story from, you know, childhood in Tupelo, Mississippi, all the way through, you know, him becoming a massive blockbuster superstar musician. But there, if I had to summarize this film with anything, I would say it's, it's all about Elvis's family. And I thought this was like this movie, if it does anything, it underscores that Elvis was a mama's boy.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, who wouldn't be a mama's boy if your mama is Shelly Winter? Exactly. In in those bad wigs, even better. That's why I was like, oh, yes, this is cinematic. This isn't a TV movie. And then I saw those wigs and I was like, oh, Shelly, you're delivering
0: mama. Elvis's father in this movie, interesting, is played by Kurt Russell's father, Bing Russell, which, it's funny, not many people are named Bing anymore. That is definitely a relic of the 50s and 60s and before.
1: I don't know why that name fell out of popularity. (laughs) Like Wink, Wink Martindale.
0: Wink Martindale and Bing Russell.
1: These are my twins, (laughs) Wink and Bing. (laughs) And their cousin, Whizbang. (laughs) Oh my
0: gosh. One, two, three, four! Kurt Russell, very young, this is before, like, you know, Escape from New York, it's before Tango and Cash, it's before, like, you know, all the movies from, you know, the the early 80s, late 80s, where he just kind of blew up into blockbuster fame. This is
1: him as an adult. He was a Disney child star. All of those, like, studio cranked out Disney movies, right? I thought he did a great job. Yep. I thought it went better As he went along, like in the beginning, I was like, oh, is he just going to do an Elvis impression? And then many times and towards the end of the movie, I was like, he inhabited the character so much that I thought he did an amazing job.
0: Yeah, I agree. Although one thing, and this is a thing that happens in biopics all the time. Russell doesn't sing the songs. Right. So you you're you're watching him lip sync to songs that were actually recorded by country singer Ronnie McDowell, which is totally fine. Um it's just one of those things where I always find it funny when the actors playing these larger than life musicians aren't actually providing the voice. Have you seen the Baz Luhrmann movie from last year?
1: I mean, I finished up the Kurt Russell one and I was like, oh, if that wasn't long enough, let's put on another Elvis. So I, <laughs> I, I started it. I did not finish it.
0: This Elvis TV movie with Kurt Russell and, you know, directed by John Carpenter tells a bit of the story, I think, of Elvis as, you know, family man, mama's the family. The family
1: relationship, and, yeah.
0: And the Baz Luhrmann one, I mean, is also much more showy and flashy and, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, typical Baz Luhrmann sort of theatrics. But... It really just focuses on how Elvis's manager sort of screwed him over. It's
1: interesting to compare the Kurt Russell one to the Baz Luhrmann one, just generationally. And I think we'll see this in the other movies that we talk about, because do you get the sense that they're not handled with kid gloves, but there is... A bit of a reverence when you're telling the story of celebrities' lives that is different than now when it's it's not necessarily digging up the dirt but it's looking for the headline or the scandal, but there is just a definite difference in tone and I think how you covered celebrities in their lives in the past and more currently,
0: yeah, I think I would agree with that the t v movie came out so close to his death that I think. It just was automatic, like baked in that you had to be somewhat respectful. And they were, they actually had, um, Elvis's father gave some input. And I think Priscilla Presley, there's a rumor that she was paid $50,000 to also bless the script. I thought the Elvis TV movie with Kurt Russell did a better job of showing that you know Elvis had demons like we all have demons and and struggled with them. love to talk about sort of when these things aired and basically you know what was the night of television like when it was on in the U.S. this aired on television but abroad internationally they actually put it in theaters really yeah and so it aired on ABC Um, it was up against Gone with the Wind Uh, Which, what? I know, it was like a special. The only
1: movie longer than this Elvis (laughs) uh, movie. (laughs) You are
0: indeed correct about that. And then it was also up against a movie, a telecast of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And Elvis won the night. People love this thing. It was actually the sixth most watched program of its week, Uh, not just winning its night, but basically in the top 10 for the entire week. And the reason I wanted to kind of just pay special attention to that is because. It is finally the first TV movie that aired on the same night as 60 Minutes and beat 60 Minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so take that, 60 Minutes. Take that, Gone with the Wind. I think this is a win for Kurt Russell, John Carpenter, uh, and Shelley Winters. <laughs>
1: Okay, well, now we turn to the Emmy-nominated 1980 TV movie, The Jane Mansfield Story. What was it Emmy-nominated for? Well, hair, makeup, and costume. I was going to say,
0: very nice of you to make it seem like it was an awards contender. <laughs> facts are facts. Yeah, well, <laughs> facts are also facts that it, this movie has been voted one of the 100 most amusingly bad movies.
1: <laughs> Which is why we love it so much. I mean, Mike, has there ever been a more effervescent parent? than Lonnie Anderson and Arnold
0: Schwarzenegger. i you, like, the only thing that's more vescent than that effervescent pairing (laughs) (laughs) would be Don Rickles and Linda Carter in the 7-Up commercials.
1: Lonnie and Arnold did a 7-Up commercial.
0: Yes, they paired Lonnie Anderson and the Schwartz, the the Schwarzenegger, in a 7-Up commercial.
1: Of course, Diet 7-Up is crisp and light. Right, Mr. Universe?
0: To me, everything is light.
1: I mean, it doesn't have that heavy aftertaste. Diet 7-Up is delicious, and every time I drink it, pickles when it
0: goes down diet seven up <laughs> the only thing you give up is galleries right arnold mm. <laughs> <laughs> i think because jane mansfield while definitely a household name and part of like hollywood's you know golden age i don't think many people today if you ask them who jane mansfield was would know which mm-hmm. is very different than if you ask them who elvis was you know in a nutshell who was jane mansfield
1: I would say in the era of Marilyn Monroe, she was the more ditzy, bimbo-y Marilyn Monroe. But what's really interesting is both of them might have been cut from the same cloth, that they were both playing that archetype, but both really smart in real life and had an incredible business sense. They knew what they were doing and the audience, they were in on the joke, but the audience were the suckers. Of this equation and and i think the the movie does a pretty good job of showing that
0: but the tragedy and maybe what kind of like cements her with sort of that marilyn monroe crowd is that she dies extremely young so lonnie anderson is playing jane mansfield as an adult arnold schwarzenegger plays one of jane mansfield's husbands mickey hargitay that name is you you might be like Hargitay. How do I know that name? Well, it's because Jane Mansfield and Mickey Hargitay had a child named Mariska Hargitay, and so um, Mariska of Law and Order SVU fame is a product of that relationship and that that, that marriage. But really, you just kind of nailed it. It's it's like it's it's a tragic story of um, uh, basically a, a star that was just meteoric. And then kind of came, you know, sort of crashing down. In fact, the tagline, I think, is this... The, the tagline for this whole movie is is works as sort of a plot summary. It's small-town girl, wife and mother, starlet, love goddess, sex symbol. No one's dream blazed so hot and burned out so fast.
1: Mm, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, it it really is that story of, like, meteoric success and a tragic end.
0: Yeah, I would totally agree with that. One of the things I was surprised to learn... Because my my pop culture awareness of Jane Mansfield was that sort of like, I don't want to say ditzy, but kind of like flighty, you know, uh, actress of a gold of the golden age. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that she had an IQ in like the high 130s.
1: Yeah, I mean, she's brilliant. And, you know, what's like the perfect movie night is this made for TV movie with Lonnie playing Jane and then this kind of supposed, I guess, documentary, if you can call it that. The Wild Wild World of Jane Mansfield, which was made in 1968, and it was actually being filmed. She died before it was even finished, and it's got Jane traveling around the world. She goes sightseeing in Rome. She goes to a, a drag queen beauty contest, a nudist colony, and it's filled with that like winking... Ditzy humor because she's she's at the nudist colony and she's like, gee, I hope nobody is watching. And she goes, <laughs> she goes to the Eiffel Tower and she says, Gee, I hope nobody tears this down and builds a parking lot. <laughs> I mean, it's that type of humor. Like, she gets it. She is very smart and she knows what she's doing. I think Lonnie did a great job. Lonnie uh filmed this right in the midst of WKRP so she's kind of at the zenith of her career and awareness uh, Arnold was filming this right before Conan the Barbarian their stars on the rise and I think Lonnie was very much viewed in this Marilyn Monroe Jane Mansfield type of a role but she was smart great actress great business sense she I think she was kind of born to play this role
0: why does this movie seem to have many fans and yet is still considered a bad movie?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's like the, the interest for nostalgia reasons, like people who have not seen it are like, wait, what? Arnold Schwarzenegger was in this movie with Lonnie Anderson before they were famous kind of thing that that kind of sense of like, the curiosity of I want to check it out. And then I think Jane Mansfield's life stories is compelling. So I think when you put those two together, it's interesting. Is it like the best? Is it as cinematic and great as John Carpenter's Elvis? No, but I mean, it's a fun ride.
0: Yeah, I think that's it. It's like the movie is too campy to be critically loved. And I also think that while Lonnie Anderson, I think, is a very capable Jane Mansfield, I think Schwarzenegger is interesting to watch in this. Mm-hmm. But it, it it's clear he's still in the very early days of his acting career, I thought. Yeah,
1: you would not think that he is going to go on for great things if you watch yes. him in this. And Lonnie Anderson, who I think, I this is before her marriage to Burt Reynolds. And I do think, I mean, we'll never know, but I think her career would have taken a bigger trajectory. I think it was kind of subsumed by Burt, his personality, his success at the box office, and she maybe didn't get the kudos that she should have.
0: Yeah, totally. She was, I mean, She had been nominated for a few Emmys for WKRP. I think she even won a Golden Globe for it. And I think, yeah, it is, in in hindsight, I think you're you're probably right about the relationship with Bert not derailing her career, but consuming much of it. Um, Because really after this, after the Jane Mansfield story, after WKRP, I really only know her from two other things. One is Partners in Crime. Mm -hmm. And the other is a 90s sitcom called Nurses.
1: She also got um, two seasons on NBC. I think it was Easy Street with Jack Elam, which was a fairly good, um, wasn't like must-see TV, I don't think had happened then, but it was in that vein of like the comedy slot. Yeah, she did some of those, a few season sitcoms, and then kind of moved into the onslaught of TV movies too, really.
0: Well, I, you know, before we close on this, I mean, I did want to talk about, again, the night that this aired, what did television look like? And I just find this stuff so fascinating. It really just is like, to me, something just wild. So this aired on October 29th, 1980. Uh, so we're right in the thick of Halloween season there. And the lead-ins to this TV movie were Halloween cartoons, including oh. Bugs Bunny's Halloween special. <laughs> And then a cartoon of Raggedy Ann and Andy. Oh my. Isn't that wild to think that those two were the lead-in to the Jane Mansfield story?
1: (laughs) That is strange.
0: (laughs) It's like, what (laughs) in the world were they... Like, some program director was high that day. But, you know, (laughs) hey, I guess it worked because the Jane Mansfield story not only won its night, but it also cleaned up. It was really, like, highly watched. So it ran up against a telecast of The Omen, uh, the horror TV movie, Eight is Enough and Soap. Hmm. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it knocked all those out of the park. Uh, it was the sixth most watched program on television for the week that it aired. Uh, and so kudos for Jane Mansfield for becoming one of, I think, 1980s most watched television movies. and that brings us to our third and final biopic tv movie we're just jumping ahead a few years to 1983's grace kelly and again i know the reason you wanted to talk about grace kelly today eric was because one of your favorites stars as grace kelly so just let us know who it is
1: oh that would be cheryl Ladd, (sighs) who i think deserves an emmy for this performance because she does this portrayal just as boring as Grace Kelly was in real life. <laughs> I never really found Grace Kelly that interesting.
0: I think you're on to something there. I don't mind Grace Kelly films by any means. I guess in when we opened this episode we talked about how some of the things that make for an interesting biopic are people who overcome adversity. And yes, Grace Kelly had some measure of adversity, but she kind of came from a really well-off family. And to me, the hardest adversity that they really cover, (laughs) at least in the first hour of this is, oh, some people tell me I can't be an actress.
1: Exactly. This isn't a rags to riches story. This is like a riches to more riches story. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) She came from a
1: wealthy family and was like, oh, what can I do with my life to get my dad's approval finally? And I love the scene where she's in acting class and the instructor says something like, use your experience and your emotions. And she just keeps coming up blank. (laughs) But that's very telling. I think that's what, like, I have never responded to Grace Kelly or her films because I think she's just too perfect. She's just very reserved. She wanted to act. She wanted to have this emotion, but she kind of was the product of this life.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. But I don't necessarily think that makes her any less enjoyable. Like, I do like some of her movies. Dial M for Murder, Rear Window, all of her Hitchcock stuff, Rear Window. For sure. And so she has this ability of, like, she's beautiful. She's mm-hmm. really, like, classic Hollywood beauty. And so I think there's an element of something there that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I guess it just didn't feel like, a you know, a massive amount of adversity had to be overcome. And so the really what you're getting is, yeah, just sort of like a very standard telling of somebody who was famous. And that's okay. It just, you know, it means that it's a little bit more of a a slog and a slow burn to kind of get through. But if you are, I think, a fan of Grace Kelly, and you know much already going into this about Grace Kelly, I think you'll find some of this movie interesting. If you don't really know who Grace Kelly is, I think this is going to put you to sleep in the first 30 minutes.
1: I don't find her that interesting, but I will say, I know growing up, my sister was enthralled with her. And I think that's the appeal. I think young girls were made to feel like princess was an obtainable career, you know, unlikely, but a dream that was the allure becoming a real life princess, right? We're not the target audience like my sister growing up was like, oh my gosh, this amazing romance.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I know we're kind of treating this movie like a bowl of cream of wheat that's been <laughs> sitting out on the counter for like two days. But like Grace Kelly herself did do some really amazing things, charity work, especially around children's rights. I think she was recognized by the UN uh, and her the organization she founded to do that kind of advocacy really went somewhere. And I think she did leverage some of her fame and wealth for good. Um, so I don't want it to be like a big old downer, but like mm-hmm. generally speaking, this movie doesn't like, it doesn't have the drama and the tension that make for like compelling television. This to me could have just been, you know, it didn't exist at the time, but had a es biography existed, this movie could have just been that with like Cheryl Ladd reenacting some yeah. scenes with Grace Kelly.
1: So also about the wealth, you know, that her life was wrapped up in, I think in the eighties, there was huge appetite for stories about wealthy people and excess. I mean, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with Robin Leach, Dynasty, Dallas, those soaps were on. They were all about wealthy people, but not so much now. I think people still want to be rich, of course, but you couldn't tell these types of stories anymore, I don't think, about like, let's watch wealthy rich people have success, right? Yeah, We watch wealthy people on TV, but they just have to be just as, messed up as the rest of us, like the, <laughs> the catfights of the real housewives, right? I, I, I think that's an interesting switch from the eighties, that kind of excess of the eighties as it's always described as the meism, because we all wanted to aspire to be that. We thought we could be that. And the difference between how we view wealth now.
0: Yeah, because you're right. The scenes like, you know, the scenes of Grace Kelly and her private family estate. It's like I think if you aired something like that now, people would be Well, fuck her. Yeah, Um, and they're not. I don't think they are. Were like that in the eighties, where it was much more of like, oh, that's what I want to attain. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to be. One interesting thing about this, and I have to be honest, I did not, I just assumed there was a relation. Do you know who plays, I believe it's Grace Kelly's mother, is mm-hmm. Diane Ladd. Correct. I thought that Cheryl Ladd and Diane Ladd were related. <laughs> no,
1: no, Cheryl <laughs> Ladd, Ladd is her married name. Her main name is Stoppelmore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's what?
1: Cheryl Stopplemore <laughs> No it is not it is, You're making that up I swear out. to God I swear <laughs> to God Look it up So in, unless it's Diane Stopplemore They are not related
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just thought That was so funny I'm like Cheryl Ladd Diane Ladd Oh they must be related Nope it's, it's like the Catherine Hepburn Audrey Hepburn thing They're not related
1: I was surprised That this was Made fairly soon Like a year after Grace Kelly Actually died
0: What's interesting There's a common thread Actually on all three movies That we covered today The Elvis movie the Jane Mansfield story, and now this: three celebrities who died prematurely. And I think Grace Kelly was only fifty-two yeah. when she died. And similar to Jane Mansfield, they have they their their lives end in a very similar manner. Um, they both die from car crashes. Mm-hmm. So this aired on February twenty-first, nineteen eighty-three. It was opposite uh, Mash, Newhart, and one of your favorites, Cagney and Lacey. Oh, how did it do? this Grace Kelly movie didn't really pop. It um, it lost its time slot, uh, and it lost actually to another TV movie that was airing called Rage of Angels. Wait,
1: wait. Which,
0: do you know what Rage of Angels is? Yes. Yep. I knew you would have seen Rage of Angels <laughs> because it is a Sydney Sheldon story starring... Jacqueline Smith! <laughs> oh, yeah, isn't that wild? Two Charlie's Angels up against each other on the same night. Oh my gosh, it's
1: almost like the season four two parter when uh, Cheryl Ladd and Jacqueline Smith fall for Patrick Duffy at the same time, and it's called One Love, Two Angels, where they're fighting over him. <laughs> Here they're just fighting over the time slot.
0: Do you know how they tried to win Patrick Duffy's affection? I don't know. Well, they just took things step by step. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we just covered Elvis, Jane Mansfield, and Grace Kelly. But I did want to do just a little quiz, Eric, to see if you knew a little bit more about some biopic TV movies of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Are you you ready for a few questions here?
1: I know a little bit more about Biodome with Polly Shore, but I'll try. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All
0: right. Here we go. Which of the following presidents had a TV movie in the 1980s? Was it Lyndon Baines Johnson, Harry Truman, Jimmy Carter, or Woodrow Wilson?
1: I'm gonna say LBJ, maybe.
0: It was LBJ. Good job. It was LBJ the early years. It actually kind of bombed on television, but it did get quite a bit of critical attention. Randy Quaid. Won uh, an award for playing LBJ. I believe he won a Golden Globe for it. Which can you imagine? Huh. Randy Quaid is LBJ. Uh, <laughs> and do you know who played Lady Bird Johnson? It was Patty LaPone. Stop. Yes, Patty it LuPone was. And Randy Quaid. <laughs> she did uh, Lady Bird Johnson. 1987. Good for you. Look at you starting off the quiz hot. All right. This one's in your wheelhouse. And also, if you paid attention to any previous podcast episodes, we, we even referenced this. So, Oh,
1: I didn't really, but I'll, tr- I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in
0: 1994, there was a TV movie biopic of Madonna, which, you know, we talked about before. It was called Madonna Innocence Lost. Mm-hmm. Do you know who played Madonna's father, Tony Ciccone?
1: I do, it's Dean Stockwell, not Danny Aiello.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, so you did pay attention. Now, bonus point, what hot in Cleveland actress played Madonna's former manager, Camille Carbone?
1: Not Valerie Bertinelli, not Betty White, not Jane Levy's. I don't know the name of the fourth lady. (laughs) She was on Just Shoot Me, that lady, the Just Shoot Me lady. She was. Wendy Malick.
0: (laughs) You are right, it was Wendy Malick, played Camille Carbone, yes. All right, you're doing pretty well here. All right, I'm gonna, uh, this is another, we'll give you a multiple choice on this. So Karen Carpenter had a biopic TV movie, The Karen Carpenter Story, that told her life story. Cynthia Gibb played Karen Carpenter, but do you know what Oscar-winning actress played Karen's mother, Agnes Carpenter? Was it Sally Field, Louise Fletcher, Mary Steenburgen, or Jessica Lange?
1: Uh,
0: I'm gonna go
1: with Mary Steenburgen
0: it was not it was the evil nurse herself louise fletcher one last one just to end us out legendary olympic runner wilma rudolph Mm -hmm. had a 1977 tv movie made about her life and her meteoric rise to become one of the most famous athletes in american history which eventual oscar winner had his first acting gig on this tv movie where he played wilma's boyfriend and future husband robert Eldridge.
1: Denzel Washington.
0: It was. You didn't even need the multiple choice. Look at you knowing all that stuff. Yeah. Denzel Washington's very first role, uh, the Wilma TV movie from 1977. So before St. Elsewhere, before Glory, before Philadelphia, before all of his famous movies, he was Wilma Rudolph's boyfriend. Good job. You did a nice job there. Uh, Thank you. I'll give you lots of applause for finally finally passing a quiz. All right, well, in an effort to make sure that this episode isn't as long as the Elvis TV movie, (laughs) I think it's time to call it a close. Thanks for listening. If you
1: want more pop trash, you can find us at poptrashmuseum.com. And on that garbage heap we all call social media, we're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.
0: We'll be back soon with another episode uncovering more of the world of made-for-TV movies. Until then, may all your jailhouses be rocked, and all your hound dogs be howling all the time. <laughs> Thank you very <Vermont>. much. <laughs> Elvis has left the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>